This is our Everest. Greetings, Culture Vultures, and welcome to episode 5 of This Is Our Everest, the podcast where we watch old television programmes until one of us breaks. One of us is going to break. I mean, there's no question about this whatsoever. There were actually points today when I thought that I might break. (laughs) Well, after five days. Um, (laughs) But we'll come back to that. (laughs) Ah <laughs> oh dear, this is going to be the easiest win of my life. I've got copious note, copious note. Today's programme, one of your picks, Emu's Broadcasting Company from the 2nd of November 1978. Yeah, so I was six years and two months old when this programme came out. So I was probably um, getting on for being the target audience. I should for say it. so. Interesting. Um, before before we get into the ins and outs of the program and what we thought of it, I think it might be a good idea mm. if, I mean, just in case anybody doesn't know, we enlighten maybe any foreign listeners that we have, or any younger listeners that we have. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, if we if we <laughs> fill them in about exactly what Rodal and Emu was a primer, was. well, yeah, I mean, I think actually it will come out um, it, in the actual. I think it will be yeah, fairly. We're talking obvious, about yeah. when we're talking about the program itself. Um, Rodal, very tall Australian bloke, it, strawberry blonde he, he hair. He wasn't actually Australian, was he not? No, he was. He was born. Oh, was he, he was British? Born in but Sheppey, but he, he began his professional career in australia oh right oh okay very tall person from sheppy i love yeah had an emu puppet that was the act i think the uh the the, the wikipedia the introduction to his wikipedia page says oh, it all well, really yeah. doesn't it Rod, rodney <laughs> yeah. stephen hull 13th of yep. august 1935 to the 17th of march 1999 was an english comedian and popular entertainer on british television in the 1970s and 1980s he rarely yeah. appeared without Emu, a mute, highly aggressive, arm-length puppet modelled on the Australian flightless emu bird. There you go. And when when they say mute, they do mean mute. And when they say highly aggressive, they do mean they highly really, aggressive. They really mean highly aggressive. Um, yeah, I mean, what's kind of odd about um, the Rod Hole story is that... Um, It made its kind of debut in this country, kind of for adults. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the the sort of person that listens to this podcast will already be aware of this. Oh, I'm um, sure, yes. But in 1974, after a couple of... Um, uh, a couple of a- appearances that raised his profile, he, he started out... Um, on ITV, mm. actually, and 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 he ended up on the 1972 Royal Variety performance, and I'm almost certain that we'll end up doing a Royal Variety performance as one of these. They are all on YouTube. Interesting. 
Um, and in 1974, it went absolutely stellar. Well, I think 1972 was the first big step because he made the news after the Royal Variety performance because Emu yeah, destroyed yeah. the Queen Mother's bouquet, which at the yeah. time must have been absolutely seismic. In the, Can you imagine the fuss the British press must have made in 1972 about... Uh, some some, some <laughs> weird bloke who's come from Australia... With a puppet on, grabbing the Queen Mother's bouquet, <laughs> yeah. and and I don't know, probably hammering it on a wall or stamping it or throwing it everywhere. It yeah. really was oh, yeah, highly yeah. aggressive, that emu. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then and then obviously, like I say, nineteen seventy four, he's on Parkinson. Yeah. And um and that was the uh the absolute kind of pinnacle of where you could be. On British television at the time. Yeah. If you're Peter Sellers or Orson Welles or you're literally anyone who's anyone in the 1970s, you're on Parkinson. Yeah. I mean, it's Saturday night, nine o'clock um, or thereabouts. Uh, you know, the slot before match of the day in an era when there's only three channels on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be unsurprised if Parkinson pulled in 20 million a week um it was a massive event every week yeah you know, absolutely. it's really something that you can't it's almost difficult to understand how big an event event television was 50 years ago you know yeah um a completely different kettle of fish to now because not only were there fewer television channels but there was nothing else to do either you know your alternative to watching the television was reading a book, listening to the radio, going to the pub, you know, mm. going to the cinema, or making love, or making, making love, love to a to a beautiful woman or man, D- depending or, on you what know. your proclivity is. Yeah, or both. Why not? Why not? And um, and so these things were a massive deal in a way that is almost incomprehensible to anybody who wasn't alive during that time, you know? Um, And from there on, of course, he became, for a while, getting on for A-list himself, at least in terms of, you know, A-list television. Mm. Big difference there, you know? But by 1978... um, it was clear that Emu, Rod Hole and Emu, rather, were moving into kids' TV. Yeah, I mean, we should we should stress that the methodology that uh, he employed to become so famous on Parkinson was to attack Michael Parkinson with a puppet. Yeah. Is it a male or female Emu? Why don't you have a look for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't know what to look. <laughs> Looks like some interview last week. Who's that? You're not going to say, are you? What's the matter with you? You're all right, aren't you? Why is it so aggressive? It's not aggressive. Not much. It's not all the time. Lunatic. It's not. Come 
Yeah, he attacked Michael Parkinson with the puppet, knocked a glass of water everywhere, wrestled him onto the floor. <laughs> and and it, the thing is... It is one of the seminal moments. Brilliant. It is one of the seminal moments in the history of British television. There is not one British person who hasn't seen that. Yes, and it totally, and it deserves its play. Oh, That's absolutely, because Michael Parkinson's brilliant. a tit as well. So Yeah, and I don't, let's not make... You know, make any mistakes about this. Rod Hull was a fabulous physical comedian. Um, incredible. It's very difficult to believe when you actually... I watched it this afternoon, that clip. And it's very difficult to believe that that isn't a real it, Yes. Now, I wrote that down and I thought I was going to get stick for it. But it is it's absolutely true. And I think... The, I mean, obviously there's a small matter of the fact that it's blue. I think the reason that you there is just this absolute certainty in your mind, your mind is convinced that the emu is another person, is its yeah. own entity. And I think the reason... That well, it's it, not, not another person. The reason that it works is because the emu is so egregiously unpleasant. And yeah, and ill-behaved, yeah, yeah. that no person would possibly behave that way. And Rod Hull is a very charming, considered, intelligent, uh, interesting oh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And clearly, he's not a sort of wild maniac who's just going to attack you on site in the street. No, no but the emu might. But if he's got the emu, the emu yeah. might do that. And yeah. you, you just think, well, it can't be, it can't be him. So that yeah. I think gives the emu all of its all of its um, sentience and all of its menace. And even mm-hmm. to, even watching it today, I found myself thinking, "God, I wonder what that emu is." And I thought, actually, that's just his arm, isn't it, in a sock? Yeah. In what is a sock? Yeah. But let, let's we've now we've we've set the scene. Let's discuss the actual program in uh, in question, which, as you say, he's sort of slid down the rungs a little to children's just television. A, just a little, yeah. But, but, I mean, the thing is... I would argue uh, he was excellent at children's TV because this was a fine programme. Well, the thing is that it's got a very, very limited shelf life, <laughs> you know. What? How many times yeah. and in how many circumstances for an adult audience yeah. are you going to be able to get away with doing something that is kind of rude, but not too rude to somebody who's very famous. Even if you can keep on getting away with it, you know, without getting arrested or thumped or something like that. Yeah, that's true, yeah. You know, how long is it going to be? What what TV series for adults could you conceivably make with Rod Hull? But I think, I mean, I think... With that act. It could work, judging by this programme. Because I really, really enjoyed this programme. It had that spark of absolute anarchy and yeah obviously it's not big and it's not clever it's very broad but i enjoyed it 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 was choppy and fun yeah i mean i my 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 issues with it i think are probably threefold okay firstly there's not enough emu Emu was very low on the ground, although obviously the conceit of it is that he's running his own TV station, which, if you well, ask yeah. me, is far too much power to give that emu. Yeah, but I mean, the problem there, of course, is that, you know, this is the same 
thing, as I was saying 30 seconds ago, is what can you do with it? Well, the emu can fight people, yep. and it can press a button which launches the next program on this fake television channel. Yes, yeah. and it can occasionally, it. you know, grab hold of stuff and throw it around, which happens a few yeah. times. Yeah, but so as such, you know, it's almost as... I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't be half surprised if they were kind of conscious of the fact that well yeah. there's only so much we can do i mean with this it's emu. a it's a like it's a 20 minute program and the emu stick really only gets employed once yeah well then towards towards the end towards it, really. the end but we'll come back to we'll come back to that my second issue uh with it is that unfortunately it's 1970s comedy and it's 1970s comedy that's aimed at a family audience yes and as such it just doesn't really work to my ears in the 21st century as a as as funny. Ah, well, you see, you you're know. more sophisticated than I am. Well, they've got there's there's one bit where it's because like, all the little sections of it, or most of the sections of it, are pastiches of already existing television programs. Yeah, they've got a uh, grandstand of sport, open emuversity. Uh, yeah. they've got emu trek. Which is Star yeah. Trek, etc., yeah. etc. And for example, the first bit, the open university bit, the joke is they're out in the open. Yeah, and he's going through, and they're going through steps of how to make steps. Yeah, and it's just steps, and yeah. that's kind of it. And and again, you know, look, if if you're eight, nine, ten years old, or you know, Four. have the palate. <laughs> of an eight, nine, ten year old. But you're forty. Say, yeah, say. <laughs> <laughs> um, then you're going to find that funny. <laughs> but if you're, <laughs> do you know, a proper grown up, kind of with responsibilities yeah. and and yeah, yeah. And uh, so you know, my attention started turning to. The details in the background. There's three other emus. It's done up like a TV studio. Yes, I, w- I was wondering what you would make of the uh, profligate em- nature of all of these emus. Well, they've got these three other emus, but there's no explanation given for why they're there or what they are. In fact, they're not even mentioned. Are they even? They're re- just are, are, kind of. Are they there. related to emu, or are they just other emus, and we're expected to believe that all emus look like that, despite a welter of information to the contrary? It's not made in the slightest bit clear, um, and so so that's an issue for me, you know. Okay, um, it's 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 not it's not funny. I also have some issues with the continuity throughout it. Okay. You know, there's one bit where they do a pastiche of sort of grandstand world of sport or whatever. Yeah. But they're dressed as Jimmy Hill. Now, and can Jimmy I... Hill didn't, yeah. Jimmy Hill didn't do those programmes. Jimmy that... Hill did Match of the Day. Yeah, but you see, you have to switch off the part of your brain that knows that and just bask in the joy of Rod Hull dressed as Jimmy Hill. Well, yeah, but... Still, the, the, I mean, you you said yourself this was quite rapid fire. Yes, um, and it took thirty seconds to be like. I was like, who would have been a presenter of a grandstand at the time? It would have been David Coleman. Oh it? God, help me! 
Um, so I thought that that's David Coleman never had a goatee beard. No, that's, that's fucking Jimmy Hill, isn't it? Because he didn't try an impersonation. He's just dressed like him. Absolutely, yeah. It, 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 was, it was perfect for me. And uh, the um, cleaning woman, the char lady, Betty... Yeah, she also was dressed as Jimmy Hill, sat behind a t- yes, sat behind a typewriter, uh, descri- yeah. described as the team of experts. Yeah, I mean, my third big issue oh, with God. it is Billy Dainty. Oh yeah, who I didn't like when I was a kid, and I don't like now. It gives me the creeps. Interesting. There is something about him um, that gives me the creeps. There's an air of like... the uh, the Kenneth Mars about him. If you know yeah, it's, Kenneth Mars. It's, it's his there's his face. The bit where he did like he did a wrestling thing, didn't he? Yes. Like as part of the sports thing. Yeah, he basically beat himself up. Oh. Oh. Well, welcome all you GPs. I'm gonna to talk to you about wrestling and demonstrate one or two of the holes we shall be using. First of all, the scissors. Oh, and then the half Nelson. Followed by the reversible knee lock. Then you do the uh, Boston two-step. Before you do that, get yourself a dummy. Now then, hop. Yeah, I mean, there were points where that, for, uh, towards the end of that, they threw on, like, a dummy or a mannequin or something. Yes. And there were points where I was like, he's going to start fucking that in a minute. Well, unfortunately for him. certain he's going to start fucking that. The mannequin like, came to life know. and duffed him up. Yeah, it, and it just, I didn't, yeah, it didn't work didn't work for me and then of course in the star trek bit of it the emu trek bit yeah um that well you know there was a troubling the, character they chucked in a racism well um, yeah i mean the 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 emu trek uh, a space oddity on board this spaceship british leyland pride with captain flash zoom the wonderbird princess bettina and the mysterious Dr. Cheng. And I think that that says it all, really. Anyone called the mysterious Dr. Cheng on British television in 1978 probably isn't going to stand the test of time. No, it uh, no, no, and of course. You know, of course it doesn't. Um, it was set in 2007. Yeah, I, see, yeah I, I noticed that it was set in 2007. I don't remember any don't of that happening 13 no, years ago. Any of this, you know. No, none of it. None of it happened. But... Um, so, yeah, it it was problematic. It got to about... Well, I had it on full screen, so I couldn't see what the timer was. And I was like, oh, this is starting to drag a bit. <laughs> um, and that came after the Emu sketch. The uh, Sorry, they're all Emu sketches. The Star Trek sketch. Okay. And I looked at the timer and there was still 10 minutes to go and my shoulders slumped a little bit. Mm. You know? Because next there's a... I mean, we've done... This is about the fifth of these podcasts. Yeah. And for the second time we've got a pastiche of a milk tray advert. Oh, we are going to be seeing a lot of pastiches of milk tray adverts. In fact, I suggest that we should probably, at this early stage, start ranking them so that when we're up to 10, we can have a proper considered top 10 list. Well, you could start by just keeping a list of everybody that does one, because I've got a feeling they're going to... That, that advert was a cultural juggernaut, and well, wasn't it? it must Inexplicably. Have sold, they must have sold so many extra chocolates on the back of pastiches of the advert. They must yeah. have sold nearly as many milk tray boxes because of 
pastiches of the advert as they did for the advert themselves. Definitely, I preferred this one to the um, Les Dennis and Dustin G one. So this mm-hmm. it, this is assumed number one in the hierarchy so far. Out of two, admittedly, but you know it's a growing list as you as as you quite rightly point out. I don't know. You get you, you, something about it wasn't working for me um, until, of course, the last bit because um, I'm not there for Rod Ole. You know, I'm there for that bloody emu. Yeah, well, it was an interesting part because a lot of the uh, uh, the sketches were, you know, slightly anarchic takes on programmes that you talk about. I think this one was a little bit out of kilter with that. In that, it was introduced as the searching beak of emu, which yeah, as a sort of yeah. a panorama style thing. Well, it's the it's the nationwide. Yeah, that's a good name for a TV it's show. Got a searching beak that, of emu. But no, that, that, it's like a circular design, and that that was the nationwide yeah. design. And it was supposed time. to be investigating the British job market, but what it actually was was Rod Hull and emu attacking people in the lift. <laughs> yeah, no, that's just a canard, isn't it? That's just a, a, a <laughs> no. It's an a... emu. Hey, <sighs> French joke there for the. French listens. Mm. Yeah, um, <laughs> it that bit worked the best because that's actually doing what he does best. That's what you came there you for. Know. Yeah, that's that's getting out amongst the general public and making a few kids laugh and maybe looking as if he's going to attack an old woman. Yeah, um, that's that's what you kind of want to see, and I get the feeling. This is entirely conjecture on my part. I have no idea. The the it's likely that that last section might have originally been something that they'd hoped they'd be able to make a complete program out of. <laughs> because good, it is luck with that. the longest. Yeah, it is the longest section of the program. It's about seven or eight minutes. But I should imagine that they got out there, shot a load of it, got back to the studio, tried to figure out what they could do with it, and there was no way they could stretch it out to 20 minutes. And at that point, it's like, okay, we need to find something to get us to a point where we can show these sections for, like, seven or eight minutes. I wouldn't be in the slightest bit surprised if that's what um, if that's what actually happened. And now, viewers, it's excitement all the way. All the way. All the way. Yeah, with our award-winning documentary series with Rod and Emu. And this year, it's all about jobs. Mm, the searching beak of emu. Thank you. But that bit works the best because he's kind of in his natural environment, you know, just out amongst a bunch of people making a mess, making a load of people laugh hysterically and, you know, that's that's where it actually works. He's much better at improvising with a crowd than he is with a script. Albeit a script that he's written himself. Yeah, I mean, I don't really feel that Rod Hull is an actor. (laughs) Although this is... He was a conduit, really. Yeah, is this acting? Well, you can can argue back and forth about that. But at the end of the day, it's a different discipline to being a chaotic cabaret comedian, which is essentially what he was. 
you know, the 1970s was weird for this. And people, this again, is something that people don't seem to understand. But there were comedians about who were one-trick ponies in unbelievably specific ways. <laughs> I always think of, like, Norman Collier. <laughs> Norman Collier's entire... This, this, I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound unbelievable as I say it. Norman Collier was a stand-up comedian whose entire shtick was that he was a man who was talking into a microphone that kept cutting out. (laughs) And he wasn't being a comedian. You know, he wasn't like telling jokes and it pretending that it kept cutting out. It was just like some bloke. Yeah. And the microphone that he would keep cutting out. And that was it. And you've got, you know, Johnny Morris talking to the animals, talking in the animals' voices. You've got Rod Hull and Emu. And there was a whole load of them like that who just had this one kind of weird thing that they did. You know, Billy Dainty was was uh, I, I think in the in the first place Billy Dainty was a, a Max Miller impersonator or something. Wow, um, there'll never be another. There, well, there, and there he is. You know, a pale facsimile, <laughs> but there he is. But it, it, it's um. The, these this breed died off because once you've got over the initial kind of novelty of their act, because they're all ultimately novelty acts, there's almost nothing you can do with it. Yeah, almost nothing you can do with it. It got a bit more sophisticated towards the end of that kind of era, didn't it? I, I would say that the one that blew it, blew them all out of the water, put a stop to that, was probably Mister Bean. <laughs> because that was one trick pony, but it was one trick pony that they managed to mould into a bunch of different situations and different circumstances. And they managed, you know, what, a cartoon series, several TV series, yeah. at least one film. It's interesting. Mr. Bean's legacy is a very interesting one to me because I do get the feeling that Mr. Bean is genuinely nowhere near as popular in Britain as it is, as it is everywhere no. else. Yeah, exactly exactly that. I, I I reckon if I was to, you know, if you asked me to name TV programmes or films or whatever that Rowan Atkinson has been in, I would probably Bean. list Mr Bean about sixth or seventh, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. it would be way, way, way down that list. It's unbelievably popular it's unbelievably popular yeah and i don't get it you know i don't like mr bean i don't think it's funny i think it's and actually i i i think i know that rowan atkinson is a very very intelligent very capable uh very sophisticated comedian and he's just capable of so much better than this kind of sub monsieur hulot Mm. nonsense we should get him an emu yeah, get him an email, see what he does with that. Um, let's uh, shall we let's uh, uh, wrap wrap things up with our yeah favorite bit, least favorite bit, and ha- most haunting bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, my favorite bit, I think, was that last bit with the emu. No doubt. Okay, about okay. It. Um, my least favorite bit. There's a few. You know, Did it involve uh, Billy Dainty? Well, no, not quite. 
I I really just lost interest in the emu in the Star Trek thing emu Trek lost interest. I just basically I was I was just watching it with a glazed expression, <laughs> was not paying any attention to it. The word I wasn't listening. And the thing that will stay with me, of course, is going to be Billy Dainty because that is a man. I didn't uh, actually. That's another thing that pissed me off about the program. Actually is that there was no context given for these other people. No. Well, okay, you know, the the woman was a, obviously a tea lady. Okay, fair enough. But what exactly was Billy Dainty doing there? I was kind of interested in that he was he he was the man in a standard 1970s um stock three-quarter length kind of dark brown coat. Um, these were a comedy trope at the time. Yeah, uh, Monty Python made a lot of use of them. There's the sketch of the people who go round to the woman's house to fit a gas cooker, <laughs> uh, which really, you know, there's a great big long line of them outside the house. <laughs> so there's there's that, and uh, and then obviously there was um, uh, Arthur English's character in Are You Being Served. He was a good job. He, he was a good example of that. Yeah, like kind of odd job man sort of thing. Um, but it's there's no uh, I mean, and it was the first episode of it, wasn't it? Was it? The first uh, I think this might have been the second episode. Oh, okay. Maybe they did all of that in the first episode. In which case, they would get something of a pass, but not very much of one, because there was still no context to why this bloke <laughs> was there. He was just a bloke, and he had like all badges and medals and stuff on that coat, didn't he? It was mm. very odd, really weird. That he just kind of started appearing and dicking around, and like the others would just treat him this as if it was completely normal. Yeah, I, I found that off-putting. And like I say, Billy Dainty is exactly the sort of thing that I would have nightmares about. So, um, <laughs> uh, so you might have nightmares. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you know, when you're talking about a lasting impression, then I think that that's probably about as lasting an impression as you're going to mm, get. Interesting. Uh, And it's a shame, really, because I do have a very, very, very vague recollection of watching Emu Broadcasting Corporation. Now, I don't know whether it was this episode. I don't know whether it was, you know, that series. What I know, you know, it might have been a repeat that I saw a year or two later, but I have a very, you know, like a faded Polaroid sort of memory, like the type you have of when you're six years old and I have a very vague recollection of having seen it and so I was watching it or did go into watching it thinking I might quite like this actually I think you know I might get a Proustian rush off it and uh, (laughs) none of that none of that appeared and uh, by the end I was just kind of a bit bored and wanting to move on to uh, to something uh, a bit more fulfilling sorry you know listeners what about you? What were your favourite and least favourite? My favourite bit um, was, I mean, it's it was nearly when Betty the Cleaner takes off her Jimmy Hill beard to read the news. Mm-hmm. She leaves the soul patch on, which is a, a nice little touch. But my favourite part is Rod Hull's commentary on the royal. Uh, was it the Duchess of Gladstone paying a royal visit? 
Yeah. Which is, it was so perfectly done. Such a brilliant pastiche of what actual royal commentary is like. They've been lying in the streets hoping to catch a glimpse of the Duchess of Gladstone. There she is. Doesn't she look beautiful? She's travelling with her lady-in-waiting, Lady Petunia, and it looks as though they're going to be right on schedule for their visit here to the palace. The gleaming white limousine is now drawing up, and some of these crowds look at the joy on their faces. Uh, they're just waiting now for the lady-in-waiting to, in fact, open the door for the Duchess of Gladstone. These doors do get a bit stuck sometimes and uh, she's being helped on her way there. She's never fails to help, does the Duchess of Gladstone. And as I say, the joy on these faces of these people here, as they've been waiting to see. And this is their big moment. There she is, and I dare say she'll stop and speak to a few of these people. She's like that. A quick wave to the crowd as she goes on in. My least favourite bit was probably the mysterious Dr. Cheng. Um, uh, and the bit that's going to live with me is the weather section, which featured Rod Hull pricking about on a roof. Ah, yeah, well, there's steady a, on yeah. there, Rod. I mean, I had this down as a complaint as well. Why have they got a weather center at EBC? Um, yeah. If EBC is supposed to be the BBC, then A, oh, why are there adverts? Because they talked about having an advert break, <laughs> and B. And I think more importantly, why have they got their own weather department? It's like, you know, BBC Weather is the fucking Met Office. You know, just get onto the Met. They don't have to go through this whole spiel of having oh, a, God. you know, oh, yeah. the BBC's got a weather department. What, just so, just chuck a bucket of water over Rod Hole. He ain't going to care. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there we have it. Somehow or other, we managed. You are an old grouch. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you're going to get a similarly mixed response on um, on the next one of these podcasts. By oh the yes, tomorrow's tomorrow's podcast. podcast. By the way, listeners. So if you want to keep up with this, there'll be a link. In the uh, in the in the article on the website yeah. and on Spotify, uh, not Spotify, but on um, Acast, in the blurb yeah. there, there'll be a link. And uh, tomorrow's is bangers and mash nineteen. 19- no excuse. Yeah. No excuse for not watching this one because it's only five minutes yeah. long. Nineteen eighty nine ITV Central production, and that will be our subject uh, for tomorrow. Like I say, there'll be links all over the place. I'll probably post it on Twitter as well. That'll do us for this week. Uh, for this week, for this day, um, we'll be back tomorrow uh, with um, with some piping hot bangers and mash. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>